Welcome to the Marshall Proof Podcast, your weekend sports cars, the weekend sports cars. We refer to it as Twisk privately, even publicly a little bit. Uh, I'm Marshall Pruitt. That's Graham Goodwin on the other end. Together, we do the show and we enjoy it. And it's powered by you and your listener supplied questions. We occasionally provide salient answers and we are back on track, <laughs> Graham Goodwin, after a Rocky, uh, my cat Rocky just looked up when I said that. Sorry, pal. A uh, bit of a rocky little patch here where you've been crazy busy. Uh, I've been crazy busy. We are now back on track, though, with Twisk, the Weekend Sports Cars, our regular weekly visit to talk about all things IMSA, WEC, ACO, some general content, some fun questions that come in, all put together by our friend and just fine submitter of queries, that being the... Daniel Summers Gill and all brought there to us. There can be only one. Yes, there, he's the Highlander of Twisk. And uh, <laughs> also a big thanks to our partners, long standing partners, that being Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Have you, Mr. Goodwin, caught up on sleep and sanity since a little event took place here not so long ago? in f-r-a-n-c-e gotta be said uh, my recovery from it was lengthy and still a little bit out of uh, out of sorts it's it's been a busy sort of week i've got a late call to do some tv commentary for of all things brick car last weekend um as uh, someone else dropped out at the last moment and just ramping up for two weeks in italy with the lms and WEC back-to-back in Monza. Um, before that, though, MP, uh, excitement comes at the end of this week uh, with the reveal of the Porsche LMDH. Porkers. At, Porkers indeed. on display. Now, we, we believe we're going to see the, 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 the um, 2023 livery for the car. And I think we're going to get more than a few hints about the driver squad as well. But uh, be there for that one. I believe there's a parallel event in the US of A at Watkins Glen, where I should have been this weekend. Uh, but for a change in plan from a team I've been doing some work with, that would be M Sport. But I know we've got a question about that a little later. So um, lots going on. It's still furiously busy. Uh, and planning for, I guess, the middle to the end of the European season and the US season right now. But uh, I, like you, it's been a pretty tough few weeks. Yeah. Um, some might know, and we're not, we're, I'm asking, don't make this a public thing. Please don't post on social media condolences or anything, but just sharing with uh, our podcast family, our Week in Sports Cars family, that my wife, uh, who's been through hell the last couple of years with uh, all kinds of uh, health-related challenges, just lost her mother last weekend. And uh, so... That's tough. Yeah. That's really yeah, tough. It's been uh, not awesome. And uh, my, my wife's birthday is next week, so we will be... We're. I'm not sure about timing. Might have to be a uh, week in sports cars that you do with uh, with one of our friends, one of our... Uh, occasional guest co-hosts when uh, either one of us are unavailable, but we're meant to uh, go on vacation starting roughly the middle of next week and just go and get away and 
celebrate her and a milestone birthday, but also just decompress after yeah. uh, some tough times. And, you know, there's still lots to deal with um, all the procedural bits and whatnot uh, with the passing of a loved one. So anyways, uh, yeah, not well, the, be, the be, happiest of times, we brother, but uh, yeah. we're getting through it. Well, look, before we move on, I know from, from myself and from Trudy, and I know on behalf of all of our listeners, just pass on our best wishes and genuinely our deepest condolences to Chabral. Losing any loved ones, tough. Losing a mum uh, with the stuff that we know you guys have been going through is especially tough. So sending big hugs from around the world. Thank you, brother. And again, just repeating the obvious, but... Uh, my wife does keep an eye on social media and it would not please her to see any mentions of this. So please just keep this in the family, uh, dear family. Uh, also going to mention <laughs> a little bit on the nose there, Portia, uh, Porker, uh, doing your new uh, LMDH slash GTP reveal at the Salem Six Hours of the Glen, Salem Pork Hot Dogs, of course, being the primary sponsor. <laughs> so again, a little on the nose there, but hey, that's okay. Um, we're going to do a show. Graham and Ooh, yeah. I, I don't know if we, I don't know if we do the old picking of categories or do we just go with uh, what we got? Let's go with what we got. I think, I think, I don't know about you. I enjoyed last week's double show, uh, which was basically a bit of a catch up. And we've, we've used our listener questions pretty religiously down through um, the last God knows how many years now of this podcast, five? but five years. Um, I think I think we're shaking up a bit. I think uh, I think what people want to hear from this show is a bit of in-depth analysis of some of the bigger questions. We'll pick out some of the fun ones from amongst them. But let's see what we can do about a kind of quick fire uh, version, perhaps using fewer of the questions to say more. What do you think, MP? I like that idea a ton, uh, and we will certainly have folks tell us. Yeah. <laughs> less of you to more of us or yeah, yeah, yeah. keep doing it but um got a question here that opens and it might fall more in my direction uh in imsa here this comes from our pal caleb whistler it says hey mp and graham he asks is there a concern from manufacturers and teams about the lackluster tv ratings and social media presence from imsa so caleb's question here is directed at my domestic championship but i wonder if we expand this conversation a little bit graham to yours as well because there's some interesting stuff to start with here maybe going with some of the obvious uh and caleb i would say concern yes any manufacturer or team with a sponsor that is looking for meaningful uh, audience numbers coming back from each round would, if they weren't concerned, if they weren't somewhat distressed about not having much bigger numbers, much bigger audience, I'd say they'd be kidding themselves about this issue. But there's uh, an overarching thing here to pick up on Graham. And that is ain't nothing new. This didn't mm-hmm. just happen. It, this hasn't been a concern or issue for the last year or two. It's been this way for a while. Like I would take us back to what, 10 plus years, at least here in America. It's been a long time since we've had a big number, 
of folks watching your average IMSA ALMS Grand Am race. I'm excluding, as we should, the Rolex 24 in opening on a big network channel as it's done quite often over the years, or the somewhat rare instances where we do see IMSA today on NBC network compared to cable or streaming. But it is, it is a worry when we see coming out of, say, uh, the most recent round, that being at Detroit, and the audience number, if I recall, was something less than 200,000 viewers that's a tough number to sell as big and powerful and progressive and moving upwards and such. But we also, Graham, would have to acknowledge that, as I mentioned, not only has this been an issue for a long time, but the counter to that is, is it a concern? Yes. Is there evidence of that concern manifesting in participation? reduction in manufacturers, classes shrinking and falling apart. In general, I'd have to say no. If anything, we've seen what's going to happen next year with IMSA's GTP class. We're going to have a doubling in size of manufacturers. It's going from two to four. I realize it's not two to 10, but that has meaning and value. Clearly those manufacturers have said, okay, Maybe the rating numbers aren't great, but we see value in being there. Therefore, we're going to commit a lot of money to build brand new higher tech cars. There's going to be a fifth one coming here soon in GTP. Uh, We look in GTD pro and non-pro. There's gobs of manufacturers there as well. So I'd say the, the thing we would have to do, at least on the domestic side, Graham, is divorce the TV ratings versus health among manufacturers in team size because, boy, we've seen some pretty darn big grids this year, and we know manufacturer-wise there's some heavy investment going on today and coming in the future. What about the WC side? What about even maybe ELMS, Asian Le Mans series? Where does this TV rating versus... Uh, the the real answer of what does the paddock health look like? Where do things play out there from your side? It is a really good question, and I think there's there's all sorts of answers to it. One of them surrounds to stream or not to stream. If actually what you're judging it by is pure numbers, no doubt in my mind, the series that go for a free streaming model will do better. There's pretty much there's very little doubt in my mind that more people watch the ELMS and actually more still watch the Asian Le Mans series live than do the WEC simply because of the broadcast policy that's in place. And that's not a criticism. It's an observation. Uh, It's open to criticism. And I I think there's every reason why they should take a step away and look whether or not they might offer more um, in terms of perhaps some of the free practice sessions to allow some kind of magazine program, talk program around that as a framework free to draw people into the main events. Um, Social media, again, uh, at WEC, we've seen major push uh, this year to try to up the ante with the debut of their uh, YouTube series, the 
um, full access series for WEC. But again, it comes down to promotion and the fact that you're in WEC in particular, you work across multiple languages. So there's little doubt in my mind that we're, we're in that kind of netherland between when TV was king uh, and no getting away from it, Netflix tried to survive and the impact that's had on the draw, the numbers for the the all-conquering Formula One. And I say all-conquering in terms of its marketing impact and the perception you've got there of that impact. It has drawn millions, millions of viewers to that Netflix series. And that means that the social media impact from that has absolutely exploded. There are ways to do it. There's no doubt about it. And a great example of it, MP, comes not from IMSA, not from the World Insurance Championship, but from the European Le Mans series with Michael Fassbender and Porsche and what they've been doing with the uh, YouTube series uh, Road to Le Mans. I think I'm right. It's now somewhere between 60 and 70 million views of the episodic uh, documentary that's been following uh, Michael Fassbender through this journey of course you can't do that with everybody of course that brings with it some additional expense etc but it does beg the question just exactly what are you chasing are you chasing numbers overall are you chasing an engaged audience because it seems to me that's likely to be what the manufacturers being drawn to sports car racing are looking for that you know are they looking for millions and millions of people to watch them did like it I think they'd like it even more if thousands or tens of thousands of people decided to engage with some of their um, on-track, um, on-event or associated business-to-business type uh, activity around simply changing the image perhaps of some of those brands, enhancing the image of some of those brands, or getting people through the doors of their online or physical showrooms. That is ultimately what it's about. What am I seeing um, on my side of the pond? A huge amount of effort going into unlocking the question of what can we do to make this better? Not everything is going to work. I think we are in a transitional point from the traditional TV model, which, to be blunt, the US is far more wedded to. Um, than the rest of the world. Ironically, the one uh, product that uh, I'm engaged with that still does have that that wedding to it, if you like, is the FI World Endurance Championship. But I can see that potentially changing and changing in the pretty near future. You know, the social media side as well, very, boy, it's an easy one to poop on. And it's not limited to sports cars. We can poop on a lot of series and what they do or don't do. IndyCar, uh, another series uh, close to my heart. Uh, They've been ripped to shreds for years for just, you mentioned lackluster, an absence of a competitive mindset when it comes to social media presence, content, frequency of that content. And this year... Finally, they've really taken off. There are some new folks that have come in, folks who've maybe been there a little while but have been empowered to do more, engaged the video production side uh, of IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway's house 
folks who are, if not doing fresh content from whatever day's activities cut just for social media instead of general media usage, uh, going back and doing more uh, vintage or retro content, pulling that forward. Like there's just been a, how do you go from being bad and <laughs> underwhelming in what is realistically your greatest potential, your greatest area for potential growth to hitting big, big, big wins on a regular basis. I need to do a story about this, but IndyCar has really, truly, Graham, gone mm-hmm. from nothing but complaints to folks who are hardcore critics going, wow, y'all have really stepped it up. So I mentioned the IndyCar side because I know at least domestically, and I want to dive into this a little more with your insights um, from the European Endurance Series, but domestically I'd say to Caleb's point, this is an area for IMSA to massively improve and take forward. Uh, they've had some issues. We've spoken about them on the show before. Last year, Petit Le Mans, for example. IMSA's season finale. We just spent 10 months getting to this point, running a whole calendar of events, Graham, driving all around the place, telling drivers to hop on planes and people to get into big trucks and haul the cars around and put it on TV and do all these things for a whole year. Now we're culminating in the big season finale, 10 hours of racing at road Atlanta, not a single post on Twitter (laughs) the entire day. Zero. Um, I know there are some issues at the Rolex 24 this year as well of just an absence. Like someone forgot the password and uh, got locked out of the account. That's kind of how it looked from the outside. So I know if there's a salve to apply here, if you can't or aren't currently generating big television ratings to appease manufacturers, sponsors, and so on, boy, you can go pretty hard in social media to come back and say, well, over here, where we are engaging not just folks during a race or during a race weekend, but at all times, we are are seriously knocking them out of the park and delivering big for you. I know that's an area, Graham, for IMSA, that, wow, can they dial that up and maybe even deliver something like what IndyCar has from going from seemingly being in last place to, I'm not saying that they're beating Formula One or NASCAR or whatever else, but they have become highly competitive in a short amount of time. That's a big growth area for IMSA. What do you see from what you observe coming out of the uh, European series that you cover? Where do they rate? And you, again, we're just talking opinions here, uh, but sure. where do they rate from a competitive standpoint, keeping folks engaged with fresh and compelling content? Uh, I think the change has come in that we are seeing a drive and a willingness to engage more and you know we've got the continental series i actually think they've been reasonably good at it from a very low starting point wc no they've got to sharpen up why uh well one is there's this golden opportunity two is what you absolutely don't want are your customers ruling the roost and there's no doubt in my mind that when we get the likes of Porsche and obviously we've got Toyota on, uh, on tap already, Peugeot are coming with a quite sassy attitude to this, um, as we've seen with all the kind of the 
teaser stuff to do with the rear wing on the car. Ferrari are coming, and the you know, the biggest brand in the world. You know, you've got your side BMW and some of the quirky stuff that they've been up to uh, with their embedded um, documentary series, and that's even before we get to. I just think everybody's in a different world. I think people are prepared at this stage to start to take some risks. And the best part of that, from the point of view of the fans, is there seems to be a working assumption that all of that is going to come to the point of delivery free to the consumer. So whatever's coming via social media, um, the reality is it doesn't seem that anybody's talking at the moment about putting a premium price on this one. That is good news for the fans who, to be blunt, whatever they're presented with, will all, quite correctly, want more and better. And I think that should be the overarching theme for what needs to come uh, from this point forward. And certainly in 23 and 24, as the top-class field explodes around the world, more and better needs to be the mantra. You haven't even mentioned, though, the global king of sports car social media, Jordan Taylor. I mean... Oh, well, well, you know, here's the thing. When, when, when you look at actually what Jordan sort of started with the the IMSA side of things, that's in itself got some attention, the kind of numbers that that brings with it. Whatever the brand is, whether the brand is Jordan, whether the brand is Corvette, whatever that is, uh, the, the reality is engagement, and for that matter, humor, pays. Pays off in terms of that engagement. People want to feel part of something. But, you know, we look at what it is that we do, Marshall, with the weekend sports cars. Look, we enjoy doing this. We take the piss out of each other. We, we take the making out of some of our listeners. And here's the thing. People like that. When you look at some of the other offers that are out there, you look at something like dealing with races, for instance, that's got its own particular feel. Um, and it's got its own particular humor and the end jokes that go with that. And people like that. People enjoy feeling part of a club. I'll be blunt. I mean, with, with Daily Sports Car, for almost our entire existence, we've tried to have that not nailed in AP style. I see it. I understand it. I understand the value of it. I just don't like doing it 10 hours a day. I don't like writing that way all the time. And I think, actually, that when we show in this niche world of ours a little bit of humanity, a little bit of interaction, a little bit of understanding that people want to have a smile on their face uh, with the sport they enjoy, rather than just being presented with the same three or four paragraphs in the same bluntly tedious fashion that a, a wide variety of news outlets and a wide variety of areas of of interest present to people time and time and time and time again it's fine but it has its place and not everything has to be like that people want to feel as if you share their passion of the thing that they're passionate about and that for me is where so many people get it wrong in the the news tv and entertainment marketplaces you know humor and engagement are a very personal thing. Sometimes things will fall flat on their face, but I think now is the time that people should move forward and take the odd risk. That, For me, if, if people come out and try and fail, 
I think people are going to be a lot more sympathetic than if they just keep trotting out the same dirgeful stuff. So I think what you're saying here is more nudity in yes, uh, yes, uh, in of sports car TV, social media, and reporting. I believe I've, that's I've exactly met, what you're saying. I've met most of those people, and the answer is hell no. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, you've seen me, and I think that informed your opinion there. Um, why don't we, uh, why don't we go to one here, uh, our pal, Jerry Sudduth, who actually started helping me recently putting together questions for the, the week in IndyCar show. So hey, thanks, Jerry. Jerry. Uh, he says, I saw on Reddit that Penske is vigorously pursuing an IMSA Enduro date for Indianapolis as early as next year. Uh, that's true. I think we've been reporting about yep. this for yeah. about a year, if not longer. Um, Said, so I also read that if the race occurs, one or two tracks would possibly lose their dates due to budget constraints for teams. First, have you heard of this? And what tracks would most likely get cut? Says, asking as a concerned fan of IMSA at Mid-Ohio and VIR. Yeah, I actually met Jerry for the first time at a live uh, podcast we did at Mid-Ohio. One of the early, oh, wow. early ones uh, that we did. So, yeah, good old uh, Jerry. Want to make sure Mid-Ohio stays there. I think if we just talk about your home track here, Jerry, um, knowing that NASCAR has a deeper relationship with Mid-Ohio and they do send some of their stocky car product there once, twice a year, however often, I have a feeling that Mid-Ohio would be safe knowing that mm -hmm. IMSA's parent company, I mean, this was once something that NASCAR seemingly didn't know it existed, but uh, it's been a long-time haunt for sports cars and open wheel and whatnot. Knowing that Mid-Ohio has become a place that is uh, certainly part of NASCAR's annual uh, everything, I would think it would be safe. Uh, VIR as well, that's just deeply, deeply ingrained within uh, uh, IMSA culture uh, as, as a home that, yeah, if VIR were to be lost, Graham, mm -hmm. I think we would talk be talking about our very first team and driver revolt. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, pitchforks, uh, burning stakes, all kinds of stuff. That would not be super pretty. But you do, you do have to look at the calendar and go, okay, so if we insert something knowing that IMSA tends not to expand its schedule uh, numerically, uh, normally it means bumping something out. So what might go away? Uh, I have a feeling Sebring could really be... No, I'm kidding, of course. Sebring's uh, the, the most foundational Daytona, of Daytona's, them all. Daytona's yes, Daytona. I've heard Daytona's getting the axe. <laughs> They're done. Uh, the only one that jumps out that as a real concern for could it go away would be CTMP a.k.a. Mo okay. Sport. Um, that's the only one that jumps out as a real... Huh. Uh, I don't know. We're talking about next year's Belle Isle move from Detroit. Uh, so the Detroit race, which has been held on Belle Isle, is moving to downtown, a new venue that's promoted by Roger Penske. Um, I don't know if that would also include IMSA. I think it would, since we know how important it is to General Motors and that the event is often sponsored by General Motors. Um, that's another one just off the top of my head. Might be a little bit of a question mark uh, if, you know, just size-wise and fitting 
uh, two major series into uh, downtown locations going to be feasible. I'm not saying I have any intel, Graham, that that's the case. Just trying to think out loud here. The only other one that jumps out is a constant concern, which we have discussed on the show before many times, is WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Um, yeah, so they pay money. I think it's about a million bucks, 750000 or a million. I forget what it is, but they pay money for IMSA to be there, and almost nobody shows up to watch, so you know that tickets are not a major revenue generator. They do some corporate hospitality sales, so maybe that helps offset things a little bit, but that's been one where if I had to question whether that would have... Uh, a real business argument to be made to keep it. If you had to get rid of one and you had to say which one is underperforming and really is, is ripe for not being included, of course, IMSA likes to receive money. Uh, most series love to receive money, Graham, uh, promoter fees. But yeah, uh, most sport, good crowd. Everybody loves it. Drivers, I think, would revolt if that were uh, to fall off the calendar. I just don't know about whether the move to downtown Detroit uh, would accommodate uh, a second big series. I hope that it would. Um, but yeah, of all that are on the current list and knowing that WeatherTech, uh, Raceway Laguna Seca, I believe what every class except for LMP3 was invited there this year. So four of the five classes made this big trek. It's a nice place to go to uh, to visit. It's a nice place to go on vacation. But yeah, that's the one big constant failure in terms of revenue generation and crowd size. That if I had to pick what goes in order to get an indie six hour, eight hour, whatever it might be, uh, yeah, sadly, I would uh, trim my home track from the list in order to do that that'd be sad wouldn't it it would be sad i don't know um, uh, i mean I've, I've watched imsa cars there live actually my first ever motor race that i remember uh, that i remember going to was my father taking me and i assume my mom uh i just remember him uh but 1975 imsa at laguna seca wow. is the first ever motor race i recall going to um, so yeah, it's been a part of my life for a long time. When I got my driver's license in 1986, you've, you've got a license. Yes. Uh, I didn't say it's, it was anything other than suspended, but, uh, I think 86 might've been my first time driving down on my own to watch IMSA, the GTP cars there, 87 for sure. Been going there forever. Love it. All kinds of amazing hashtag me personally memories, but you got to be practical. I don't care how much, how no. many heartstrings are plucked. Uh, well, let's just, can I just do a quick checklist before we move on? Yes. Because I've, I've obviously been to the Guinness Sacre a couple of times. Indianapolis, I've never been to. Does Indianapolis have sea otters? <sighs> Not as many as you'd hope. Okay. Yeah. Not as many as you would hope. Or somewhere in the range of zero. So, okay. yeah, just one would be interesting. Let's see if you give Roger a call. Just tell him. 
That's a box you can tick. But by the way, Monterey was the first place I ever saw a hummingbird. Jeez. <laughs> true, true story. True story. Come for the sports cars. Uh, Stay learn about animals. Uh, the weekend sports cars, boys and girls. <laughs> and uh, oh boy, I tell you. Um, why don't we go to uh, to one here uh, from our pal Baxter, Andrew Baca. And I got to admit, Graham, I had the same exact thought. Uh, okay. Andrew says, how dumb must Acura feel to have released in this word? It's the word of the episode. Such a lackluster <laughs> LMDH teaser. The same week, BMW and Cadillac showed the true extent of the regulations to design uni cars instead of just slapping a surfboard on the nose and calling it done. Uh, I had the, ex- not only did I have the same exact reaction, Andrew, I saw the air quote teaser image that Acura, mm. uh, sent out to the world, Graham. Yep. And I truly did have to look closely to convince myself an error was not made. That mm. being a new 2023 digital livery being applied to the 2017 teaser image of the Acura ARX 05 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, when that was first revealed, like I'm sure when we see it in person, we will spot some things that make you and I and others go, oh, okay, that's a AR 06, not an 05. Ah, oh, here are some identifying features, but at least in terms of that, uh, shot yeah. of the front of the car, Again, digital render, not a live, not an actual car, but something done digitally. It looked so close to the current car. I truly wondered, like, did they kind of mistakenly slap a new livery on the old and on an old image, or is that the same car? Is that really an 06? What is this? Uh, well, let me, let me tell you. I mean, the reaction, but well, the reaction that I garnered was uh, from amongst the team for. Done them on TV crew for the most part. Uh, those announcements, and they came thick and fast in a mom week, were effectively being delivered to my laptop, around which um, my friends and colleagues gathered uh, so we could have a look and offer an opinion online um, on what we're seeing. So, first things first, it has to be said against most people's expectations, the BMW blew everybody away. Everybody saw that and thought that that is a really good job of um, allowing the the current design language of BMW, not universally loved, by the way, uh, into a prototypical form that actually people thought that really does look the business. Helped in no small part, by the way, by uh, a great livery, a kind of evolution of the BMW M Sport livery. Um Let's not even talk about the Ferrari, please. Um, Cadillac, uh, actually enhanced by images we've seen of their show car that's at a exhibition live right now. Again, their design language, very relevant to the kind of um, output they're putting out with the road cars at the moment, edgy, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and yeah, and then the Acura, they didn't do themselves any favors in that company, did they? 
that I think is the point. Had we seen that in isolation, I think we'd certainly get elements of this discussion. But having seen what is being done by the other manufacturers with effectively the same building blocks. <sighs> the crows are in agreement. It, it, uh, it, it, it better have a good livery, I think is what I'm saying here. I do wonder um, though, Graham, are they, uh, are they having some fun at our expense? Oh, quite possible. Did they? Quite possible. Just grab an old Air X05 image, uh, digital whatever, slap a different livery on it, and is this thing going to appear with, I don't know, uh, bullhorns on the front of it? Or, yeah. uh, I don't know, but could that be, could we be totally off? Could they be uh, just saving, uh, granted, accurate in terms of being underwhelming slash lackluster? But who knows? Maybe they're going to come up with something that we just all go, oh, my gosh, that's the best oh, thing ever. Well, well, let's hope so, because there is an opportunity. As, as we said in the earlier question, I see this as a great opportunity for those brands to make a splash. And here's the thing. Yeah, you make a splash by going out there and winning races and winning championships. But as we know from many, many uh, examples in the past, Sometimes you don't even have to do that. If you were to ask me today what is the most commented on, remarkably in a positive fashion, LMP one of the lot, it's the 2015 Nissan. Mm. Simply because it looked batshit crazy. And yeah, yeah, we all know the story, and let's not go over and over and over and again. But the visual of that car the way in which that was promoted, no matter what criticism goes the way of the team that did the PR and the marketing uh, of that, the reality is that worked, that image worked. And I do think there's an opportunity here for all these manufacturers in what is going to be very crowded territory indeed to make a splash. Look at what Peugeot's achieved. The car hasn't turned a wheel in competition yet. And already people are excited to see what it can do. I want I want a one eighteenth model of it now. And I've never <laughs> seen the thing live. Yeah, I've seen the thing live and you do want a one eighteenth model of it. Um yeah, it's I I hope we're all wrong and it will come out and wow us in some particular way. Um and I hope this is, you know, a little bit of craziness that Somewhere in that that kind of camouflage teaser image, there's something about that. They're all going to go, ah, all right, all right. But for me, moving aside from, from Acura MP, what we've already seen with the general form of the Porsche, we'll see that car, as I said, this week in undisguised form, uh, with what we've seen for the concept version of the Cadillac, with what we've seen for the BMW. I think that, all, all together, all of that, they they absolutely do not look like spec racers, do they? No, and I also love the fact that for those who are paying close attention, Graham just revealed here on the Weekend Sports Car Show that the Acura ARX06 front-wheel drive twin-turbo V6, yeah. it's a copy of the Nissan GTR LM Nismo GT1 LM Nismo <laughs> GTR. So let's, not, let's, let's hope not. <laughs> why don't we, my dear pal, why don't we go yep. to uh, a person who I want to see dressed up or someone to do a good uh, 
Photoshop job of inserting his face into a screen capture from the movie Patton, uh, standing in front of the giant American flag. Uh, General Glickenhaus, uh, who I yes. think we're going to start referring to uh, Jim General Glickenhaus, Jim. our pal, Jim Glickenhaus, who we both love for his I, fighting absolutely. spirit, outspoken ways, uh, decision to do things however he wants. Uh, General Glickenhaus commanding a pretty decent army of folks who love him, the car, the team, their rebel status, which he firmly embraces. Certainly a question, though, Graham, having just achieved podium at Le Mans, knowing that on the weckety weck side, uh, the hypercar class will be exploding next year with mm-hmm. uh, new entries, new models, new everything. I think pretty much everything having a ranging from very serious to holy cow, really scary manufacturer presence, big automotive manufacturer presence. Don't know if it's going to be as easy for uh, General Jim and company to maintain their status where they uh, live today in terms of uh, the the hypercar class and their their status of competitiveness. So why don't we get into a couple questions here? Our pal Stathis Coco or Giannis uh, is going to open this one. I'll throw here. It says, what does the Glickenhaus podium mean, Graham, in terms of motorsports heritage, marketing, commercial opportunities? Most importantly, how much can the program move forward and the car evolve to get faster? It's a great question. And I sort of wonder if it's the wrong, the wrong one. Um, with absolute respect to status. <sighs> and the crows. Would, the crows agree. Yes. Whatever you say, the crows are in. Absolutely. The If I were Jim Glickenhaus on the day after Le Mans, after another stellar performance from those cars, uh, we saw, we've now seen in, let me get this right, 56 hours of running at the Le Mans 24 hours, the sum total of one car in the garage for, I think, eight minutes um, and one repair on pit road for uh, the no section last year and then uh, one of the cars after a brush with a wall this year. That is pretty spectacular stuff. And deservedly, uh, Jim and the team with the 709 car coming home for a podium finish. Uh, I think if it were me and it was my money, I'd be taking a look at what's required to take the next step. Uh, which is multiple, multiple millions of euros, dollars, whatever else you care to throw at it. Then I'd be taking a look at what's coming. Porsche, Ferrari, Peugeot, Cadillac, and then others to follow that. And I'd be thinking, can I achieve this again? Can I do better than this? What is it going to cost me to, to do better than this? And I think the, the noises we're hearing that we're unlikely to see, Jim, and the team on the flyways at the end of this year. So potentially Monza might be the last time without further backing coming forward that we see the Glickenhaus team um, on the WC grid. Might be the only time we see the car up against Persia and Toyota. I sort of wonder as a factory effort, 
whether or not we might be done. I hope that's not the case. Um, and Jim will be sure to tell me in reasonably blunt fashion uh, if that's an incorrect take. But I do wonder whether or not that's, um, that program, which, let's be blunt, has assisted the hypercar class in its early months in no small measure, that now the cavalry is arriving, I wonder whether or not it might be a little bit too rich for privateers' blood at this level. No doubt whatsoever that Glickenhouse will be trying to sell cars, sell the opportunity to get into those 007 uh, hypercars at a remarkably low purchase point for that kind of level of international performance and, and ability. But I wonder as a factory whether or not we might have seen the last appearance uh, for a full season car at Le Mans. Whether or not Jim Glickenhouse can persuade the ACO to invite him back, not as a a full-time entrant, I think is another question. And whether or not Jim decides to push the button uh, on, and I hope he doesn't, on the squabbles he's having with IMSA about accepting those the cars for um, races in the States, I don't know either. But I think we've got storylines to come out of Scuderia, Cameron Glickenhouse. I hope I'm wrong. I fear I might not be. Yeah. I mean, that's the... That's the concern. When you are a challenger brand, a privateer, Obviously, it's yep. a difference between Jim and super low volume production number auto con- manufacturer, uh, Scuderia, Cameron, Glickenhaus, and Mazda, for example. But at least over here in the IMSA side, not too dissimilar uh, a scenario with what Mazda went through, right? Nowhere near the vehicle sales or profits to spend like a Cadillac slash General Motors. Mm-hmm. or Acura slash Honda um, did their best. Actually, you know, when they said we're going all in and we're going to spend crazy amounts just to see if we can uh, break through, they did. Didn't win a championship, but they certainly started winning and became a very serious contender at a lot of major motor races. Won Sebring, won this, won that. Did a lot of big things, but it took a long time. And admittedly, it also took some pretty heavy sanctions BOP sanctions for their rivals and also uh, some BOP latitude in their favor to get to that point. That all being said, Mazda ultimately tapped out with LMDH slash GTP being announced. They tapped out and said, hey, (laughs) boy, we spent a lot of money and got to the place we wanted to after many years of failing in DPI. And that's great, but with where you're going to next and the increased costs and what we imagine is going to be, as we've seen, doubling, if not adding even more, in terms of the manufacturer count, yeah, uh, we were good at being the small challenger among three regular brands in DPI. There's no way we're going to be able to keep up and spend our way to being competitive and maintaining that stature uh, and status in gtp here 
not saying again, Glickenhouse is the same as Mazda, but I see a lot of parallels, Graham, where you go, Hey, taking on Toyota, taking on Alpine. Cool. And they've done some really good stuff and made some cool headlines as being that challenger brand. But I think we are, as you mentioned, I think they're, they've, it would be silly to not have that same realization as Mazda. Is there a place for us? Sure. But is it at the front of the grid going up against all the brands that you mentioned that are coming in? That's where we divorce ourselves from reality. So do you keep spending a lot? Uh, do you keep trying to get menu, uh, I'm sorry, sponsors or, or whomever to bankroll this, this party to continue just to challenge, but all of a sudden in 2022 graham going from hey we finished second here or third or hey maybe we even won when the you know toyota's either had problems or bop favored us right to yeah i think sixth seventh might be about the best we should realistically expect for ourselves once we move into next year's championship and beyond uh i don't want to lose um scg i don't think anybody wants scg to go away just gotta ask what's the value here when you realize that okay (laughs) tidal wave is coming and we're gonna get slammed based on our financial abilities yeah i think that's perfectly correct i know we've got a follow-up question on this uh, similar but uh, parallel who is it from Uh, i would say a pretty awesome person by the way it's um yes it's from uh, uh, our good mate uh, excuse me Truavasaurus Oliver Truavasaurus and I I will never get that right I'm really sorry Oliver um and Ollie says with the likely move away from Glickenhaus and hypercar so he sort of agrees do you see the performance window shift a bit faster he says SCG was max power and minimum weight already would help with stratification if new factory LMHs were a little bit faster and help the beer pre-process. <sighs> yeah, maybe. Um, I think we're getting into that political era now, aren't we, with BOP? We've got the big guns coming. Uh, it'd be interested to see just exactly what Peugeot brings to the party at Monza. I think it's looking increasingly likely that we'll see um, the Porsche LMDH at Bahrain. <clears throat> We've then got Ferrari coming next year. We've got Cadillac coming next year. Uh, for WEC, um, it it does strike me looking again back at Le Mans MP, where with little problem, um, the Toyotas pulled laps on that uh, that Glicken House laps, multiple laps, and that was with one car having had a problem themselves. So there is pace outside of that window and 330 is what they said we were looking for um it's quicker than that there's no doubt already uh i would be interested to see what we might get by way of a le mans 24 hours with cars at uh, in depth at toyota's pace because let's be blunt toyota's pace is not the pace that's been handed out as the bop window that the likes of Glickenhaus can aspire to. And that's before we get into the debate about Alpine. Alpine, of course, had a pretty troubled uh, Le Mans, three separate issues. But I think uh, 
it was interesting to see uh, reports that Kamui Kobayashi, no less, uh, the team principal of Teotihuacan Two Racing, that his take on the late change of balance performance to Alpine was a, as as clear a message as it could have been that they were not going to be allowed to win that race. Um, and I don't necessarily disagree with him. I didn't see anything. Um, certainly, we haven't had the explanation of that uh, that change in balance performance. And as we've repeatedly said on this show, and I've repeatedly said elsewhere, that's the missing link with the balance performance. If you're going to change things, tell us why you're changing it. Explain the decision. Explain the change. Or politics and public opinion take over. If you don't want politics and public opinion to take over, explain your actions. It's really, really very simple. Um, or, you know, we carry on like that, and that's the way that things change. We've got political animals coming in. Uh, and yes, I'm looking at you, Peugeot and Porsche and Ferrari, that to be blunt, my friends at the ACO, significantly uh, outplay you in terms of your ability to play that polit political game right now. Get it right. Do it quickly. Explain publicly what the changes are and defend your position publicly. Because if not, you're going to think that the days of Kamui Kobayashi offering an opinion on the record as to your motivations, as to one of their um, main competitors were effectively scored out the game by your actions, you're going to start to see those as the good old days uh, because it will only get worse from there. It's not a warning. It's common sense. Uh, the process is there. It is data-driven. That is what's supposed to happen. It's not supposed to have a political element to it. If it's data-driven, there can and should be no reason why you don't explain a change publicly. I urge you to do so. Or we're coming into an era where my game, my business, is going to be dominated by people working for large manufacturers spending all their time moaning about balanced performance. And that's not a sport I care to report on. Yeah. Well, where do we, uh, where do we want to go here as we wind down a little bit? Uh, Damien Peachman, maybe? Do we want to go to Damien or Sven or Alex Eichmiller? Uh, let's have a quick look. I mean, the, um, Damien says, do Cadillac have plans for European testing? Inevitably, they will. I think the first test of that car, it's a Dallara chassis, is likely to take place in Europe. Um, I can the, add that I believe, believe yep. the Ganassi team has received uh, their first Ooh. chassis. Oh, have they? I Ooh. believe so. I, I need to check in. I, I'd heard this was earlier, pretty early in June, okay. that uh, I, I can't say if it was the if it is the first chassis, right? There very well could be a test mule that's being used in Europe yep. and whatnot, but I can't tell you chassis number, but I, I can say that I, I heard Ganassi would be receiving their first uh, Cadillac GTP car here towards the end of the month. And so, again, I don't know if it's already there or if it's uh, landing soon, but I would expect that to get uh, torn down to bits the moment they get it just so they can yep. learn and i would also assume as is the case i think with just about every gtp slash hypercar uh that that's coming out here that the crews that will be running it from whichever manufacturer teams if they aren't 
if it isn't a true manufacturer-based effort, uh, like, say, the Porsche, uh, where it's a case of here in America with Chip Ganassi Racing and Action Express Racing that'll be running the cars, I would have to assume, as they often do, Graham, send over one, two, three, ten, however many numbers of crew uh, to help put the cars together, see them, understand the systems at the factory, wherever it might be in Italy or wherever wherever such things are being built in France. Uh, so in some instances, maybe they won't be torn apart from the beginning because who knows, maybe the crews that'll be running them uh, help put them together at the factory. Uh, but nonetheless, you know that there's going to be a high learning degree going on of understanding the vehicle uh, and then taking it out to do its first test. So at least over here, uh, that five and a half liter V8 um, Cadillac should be, if not running, close to running, I would think, here on good old American soil, maybe complementing whatever testing could be taking place in Y-U-R-R-U-P, known as Europe. Europe. Uh, the, the other bit to answer here, by the way, from Damien, is why one car for WC? Very simple, because it allows them to get three cars for Le Mans. That simple. Uh, I've no doubt Ganassi will want to bring their second car over, and I've no doubt that Action Express, well, we know they do, uh, wants to bring that too. And having a full-season presence um, in the FI World Endurance Championship basically means that they can uh, request at least the selection committee to allow them to bring other cars for Le Mans. No doubt in my mind that's what it's about. Whether or not it will be one car for every race or whether or not you might see the team double, uh, teams double up uh, for a prep race in Europe remains to be seen. I think it's part of the excitement still to come is just exactly how do these teams and these manufacturers decide to um, marshal their troops. Uh, it's it's a, an interesting and intriguing part of it. Might we see uh, a second Ganassi car at Daytona? Every reason why we might. Uh, there's there's lots of really interesting dynamics that that might come out in 2023 and beyond that in 2024. Let's not forget things will change again with more manufacturers coming in 2024, and we might see teams and manufacturers changing their approach as the supply chain and the budgets we hope start to kind of retract a little from the absolute madness that's going on right now. Might I suggest, Mr. Goodwin, that we mm. take one more in-depthy type question okay. and then close with one or two that are kind of sort of fun and then say yeah, farewell yeah, since sure. we're at almost an hour. And if you're in agreement, I think Alex Eichmiller's question here, okay. uh, opening with a comment saying, good to see you guys back. Thanks, Alex. Uh, it says, can you explain, Graham, GT3 Premium? <laughs> and how it would be any different than GTE. And there's also some other questions uh, in and around this that uh, you might expand upon, okay. knowing that when we do get to the WEC's all GT3-based GT formula, we will indeed have full alignment, 100% alignment, with IMSA, which as of this year has gone all gt 3 this premium aspect, maybe some bodywork changes that have been, you know, and whatnot. Um, maybe you could, as Alex asks, explain the GT3 premium angle from the European side, but whether that could also create differences and conflicts between what IMSA does and uh, what the Wekity Wek does. Um, I'll do what I can. There's, it's not been fully uh, or even remotely fully explained. 
there's been bits and pieces of information kind of dripped out with not necessarily official comment. Uh, so we've got, after this season, one more year with GTE cars in the FIWC and the European Le Mans series. That will be a GTE AM uh, class only for WEC. It already is a Pro-Am class in, WEC, in uh, ELMS. Um, that's uh, to answer a further question, the reason for that, in no small part, is because both Porsche and Ferrari are, of course, graduating to the top class in hypercar and have no wish to conduct a GT Pro uh, competition with them effectively saying they're withdrawing from that. That means there's no marketplace left for at least a four-car full-season class. Therefore, it dies. That's that's the reason the change is coming. Why are we moving to GT3? Uh, well, simply because the number of manufacturers prepared to support the GTE rule sets is contracting. Um, we've lost BMW. Um, it's pretty clear that neither Porsche nor Ferrari have got the appetite to, to carry on with any new offering they've got. They've both got new GT3 uh, machinery in the wings, the 992 version of the 911 GT3R, uh, the 296 GT3 that uh, we've already seen uh, pictures of. And they both have booming customer uh, order books for those new cars. Uh, so why GT3? Well, beyond Porsche and Ferrari, of course, it does allow the ACO to welcome other new manufacturers potentially into the fold. And before I forget, by the way, there was one other part to the Glickenhaus uh, point I was going to make, which is it doesn't mean it's all over for Glickenhaus, even if he does decide he doesn't want to carry on in hypercar because he's got the 004 GT car that very um, easily could be part of a GT3 future for uh, that make. And I hope it does uh, make it there because I think that's where we could see a few more boutique manufacturers um, with the likes of McLaren, with the likes of, you know, of uh, Honda making it in to the WEC through the GT ranks, and there are, you know, and others, you could get to the stage where we're close to double figures in terms of the makes and models that make it into uh, that class. That's the reason why, because with more manufacturer presence, you've got the potential for more activation for people to buy advertising, for people to buy hospitality, to people have paddock activation and external activation for those investments. That's the reason why for GT3, beyond the reality of the fact that the GTE marketplace in terms of the number of manufacturers involved was contracting, contracting radically. But to complete with Alex's question, we don't know what GT3 premium is yet. We believe that the principal reasons behind it are potentially fall them on whether or not that means some kind of error although at least one senior source says no uh, whether or not that's going to be for the kind of packs you'd need anyway to get the cars to comply with aco regulations so position markers etc um etc etc uh it remains to be seen uh, i'm gonna point the finger of criticism at the aco here if you're going to announce something like this you need to be ready to ask questions about what's involved in it. Because right now, bringing forward a proposal that adds budgets to an established marketplace 
I'm not sure that was the smartest move. I think if you're going to announce GT3 Premium, let's be clear on what that involves. Let's be clear on the kind of costs that are involved in it and be clear on the benefits of the teams and the manufacturers that that's going to bring by investing in it. Uh, they're going to need to do uh, to, to say more and say more reasonably quickly about what's involved because the regulations for 2024 are not going to be that far away, about a year away. Um, and teams and manufacturers are going to need to start to develop the budgets for the FI World Endurance Championship pretty quickly. Uh, every uh, major championship, by the way, uh, does have things that you will need to fit to those cars, any cars, that are essential parts of the regulation. GT3 Premium might be that. It might simply be the package that is required to allow cars to race in the FI World Endurance Championship. And that is absolutely no different than for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship with the kit and caboodle the organisers need, the logging systems, etc., that are required for IMSA. But it sort of gives the impression that there's something a little bit more than that. I hope we're not going to go down the road of... How can I put this? Measuring their masculinity against other championships that run GT3 uh, uh, cars, as we had briefly with uh, DTM talking about doing things in a bigger, badder way and then having to retreat when the realities of the marketplace presented themselves. GT3 cars, as part of a mixed-class grid, can work and work well. Let's not mess with that. Yeah. Uh, I say it would be awesome to close the show with mm. two questions that I love. Uh, okay. the first being from Grant Stouter it says, okay. went to the, uh, S V R a vintage event at Indianapolis over the weekend. And it spurred a question, Graham, what is the most hideous sports car you can think of? And no, you can't just say any first generation Daytona prototype. Uh, he says his personal least favorite was a Chevrolet Corvair. Ooh. Looked bad, sounded worse. Uh, what's okay. the most, if we were to do the, the all hit every branch on its way down the ugly tree, <laughs> uh, sports car vintage class, uh, yes. what would be your, your number one draft pick for ugliest sporty car to put in that vintage category? Can I have, can I have two? Of course. Uh, well, you better I'm not sorry, take mine. It's, it's not any Gen 1 DP, it's a specific Gen 1 DP. In fact, there's two specific Gen 1 DPs, now think about it. One was the Multimatic, which was supposed to look like a Ford Focus, <laughs> and might have looked like a Ford Focus had a Ford Focus been through several scrapyard crushes. Uh, the other one was the Fab Car, uh, which looked like a kind of sports car formula student. Not good in any way, shape, or form. Genuinely looked as if the thing had been put together by a group of like-minded friends for the 24 Hours of Lemons, not the 24 Hours of Daytona. And if the car that you're going to mention begins with the letter C, I'll back out and let you mention it. Uh, Corvette. Yes. No. I no, hate no. Uh, every... Okay. Um... <laughs> I actually don't think it looked terrible, but just the overall everything, if you look at all aspects of it, bodywork, without mm. bodywork, 
general yeah. conception of it. Yeah. The cannibal. Yeah. Really, <laughs> really kind of sort of sits in a, 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 a fame of hall all of its own. <laughs> um, and I might've mentioned this before. I don't know, but that vehicle was created 15, 20 miles from where I am right now. Uh, yes, just right in a little lovely pocket between Oakland and Berkeley fantasy junction, uh, is, is where the Trenaries, uh, created the cannibal. Um, and yeah, so that is sadly a, uh, San Francisco Bay area product gift to the world. And, uh, what a hell of a party. One of my old, old, old friends, uh, kind of came up similar times being racy car mechanics at Sears point, AKA Sonoma raceway, Jacques Andres, Jacques, uh, admitted to working on the cannibal and helping to build the cannibal back in 95 or whenever that thing came together for goodness sake. So yeah. Um, would that, is there a, a special mention as well, Graham, knowing that not only is the cannibal regarded as one of the world's greatest sports car shit boxes ever made, but also since it was such a heap of junk run on a minuscule budget by a crazy small privateer team, uh, those are often the entries, Graham, that motor racing magazines and or websites uh, tend to congregate towards and get oh, their yeah. names on for not a lot of money. And I'm oh, not yeah. meaning to pick on Autosport, but <laughs> if you do look at photos of the Cannibal in action, almost invariably, you're going to see a big old Autosport sticker slapped on the thing. So yeah. maybe that... I think I, I did a I did a story about the cannibal. There might even be a pod. It might have even been the subject of a podcast too with uh, Bruce Trenery. So that's been explored a little bit. Yeah, but maybe there's a follow up with I don't know if it's Gary Watkins. I don't know Quentin Spurring or whom it would have been How at the, the time. How the hell did Autosports say? Oh yeah, cannibal. That's us. Uh, and truly, at the time. <laughs> No finer magazine, like reputation wise, just right. Autosport, number one leader globally of motorsport racing magazine. So, truly a, a peerless entity. How does uh, a magazine that's P1 in the marketplace align itself with P0 uh, in the competitive marketplace? There, there's, a, there's a story to be done there for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good one. There's one more that I'll put into the, the Hall of Fame, by the way. It came a little later. And simply because it wasn't just challenging of looks, but hideously dangerous. And that's the Pescarolo 03, which was the car that ended the story for Henri Pescarolo, based on the Aston Martin Airmonger 1 chassis, uh, designed quickly and, one would say, badly. And so terrifying was it that Jean-Christophe Brion, after the thing took off under braking um, for, I think, the first chicane, uh, literally just walked away, walked away. Uh, one of the other two drivers told me uh, that he didn't even have uh, his race suit uh, ready for Le Mans. So confident was he was never going to climb aboard that car. So the Pescarello 03, um, all kinds of absolutely terrible but so I don't think it looked terrible, though. Oh, it wasn't good looking. 
really? it wasn't. I, I, no. I guess it, it never struck me as even being remotely in that category, but I am, I'm struggling to remember the name. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Lamont and I'm currently looking through trying to get to my folder with photos from, I think 2008 at Lamont. Um, Go on. I believe what? Italian LMP two constructor. Lucchini. Yes, I think. And was it the one with a cartoon elephant on it? <laughs> I don't remember, but if it didn't have a cartoon <laughs> elephant, then there is a serious opportunity lost, but I'll try and find it. But this just looked like a bunch of half considered ideas of what a <laughs> sports car looked like by folks okay. who didn't follow sports car racing, know very okay. little of it. Like if you're sitting at the pub and you come but across somebody. On, the Picchio. You're talking the Picchio. I don't know if it was a Picchio. I mean, the Picchio is an it's easy pi- one to pick on, of course. The, but The, the, the Picchio, Picchio is, the, is the car that's determined Acura's aerodynamics with that front boomerang. Oh yeah. I think they want the boomerang back from what I've heard, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I'll have to try and find it, but yeah, there, there's uh, certainly might've been a Lucchini. I'm not sure. Um, there were a couple of P2 cars late two thousands that just looked like, well, they looked like they had no business competing in LMP2 and performance wise, Mm -hmm. they sure as heck had no business being there. Uh, whatsoever, but yeah, um, couple of those were just super ugly. Like, wow, uh, point to all of the really successful race cars that are hideous. There really aren't many to find. So, uh, that's just one of those basics yeah. where you stand back and go, did we, did we hit it? Uh, I don't know if we quite well, got it. Now, just to finish that, uh, that, uh, talking point, by the way, uh, for some little time now sitting in my little, um, box of things to post on daily sports car is the latest in our series of all of the uh galleries and i've got a gallery ready to go which features all of the lmp2 cars that have ever raced since 2004 and the current iteration of the class so every single different car in worldwide competition uh features in that uh that gallery and trust me some of them are challenging to the eye rather than to the timing screens. Challenging, he says. All right, Graham, final question here on this Ooh. episode. Uh, this comes from one of our most enduring listeners and question submissioners. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll just go with that. It's a good one. It's another uh, word from Marshall Pruitt. Yes. How about I give you answers? And you provide questions. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Uh, okay. The first one, Graham. Yeah. Not before 2025. Okay. I know the answer to that one. And the answer to that one is. Bowel movement. What, what time is 35 minutes to nine? Not before 2025. There you go. Yes. Uh, the next one, do you want to, should we go back and forth or should I pose all these to you? You can chuck it to me. If you fancy diving in, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have a crack at this. Okay. 
<laughs> I know how I want to answer this one, this next <laughs> one, uh, <laughs> about a, a, a broadcaster um, that seems to inflate numbers. Less than a million. How many people actually read, listen, or watch sports car racing? Huh. The crows agree. Look, it's like we've go. got our own commentary section here in the show. Uh, the next one, Graham, uh, the penultimate uh, answer where we need to provide the question. Yep. Unlikely. Okay. Uh, the answer to that, what well, the question for that one is, but what about those that say that more than a million people read, watch, or listen to sports car racing? I don't know if we follow the rules of Jeopardy uh, here, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, why don't we close here? Close the show with the final answer provided by Right Turn Lover. By intent. To which the question is, but but surely that can't be. It, it must be an accident. People must be just misunderstanding those numbers. No, the answer is by intent or far away from intent. Maybe it's a or, question of where sports car fans put their stuff while camping <laughs> at an endurance event. By intent? Far away from intent. I don't know. If, I, think, uh, I think the answer for all of the, or rather the question for all of these, uh, and thanks, Right Turn Lover, for the questions, not before 2025. The question is, when will we know whether or not Convergence has been an unmitigated success and we've got a golden era? And the answer is, indeed, not before 2025. Um, less than a million? Um, well, what should be the starting points for any team looking to get into uh, international sports cars in a continental series? And my view is there should be an entry point that is less than a million whether it's euros, pounds or dollars, those things are converging at the moment. That certainly should be the entry point for anybody to come. What are the chances that we'll actually get to that point in the current world situation? Uh, unlikely. And well, by intent, what would you chuck into that one, MP, to finish us off? I have absolutely no idea. Well, let's try this. Let's try... How does Richard Westbrook drive? <laughs> <laughs> but there should be a question mark at the end. By intent? <laughs> oh, wasn't it good to see Westy on the on the podium at Le Mans? Fantastic yeah. stuff. I mean, he's a terrible um, person, but you know, he at least liked to see one nice thing happen to even the evil, evilest, darkest hearted. Uh, don't tell the just, listeners that he's yeah. beloved. Oh, no, he's his beloved. wife. Uh, trust me. Every other member of that family named Westbrook, either by birth or marriage or, or, uh, spawning. Just Richard. Fantastic. That guy. It's just, it's just Richard. I, I, you know, I think the WC needs to come up with personal BOP decisions. <laughs> when that guy's in the car, get new tires. Oh, you want all the gears? Nah, man. Based on your attitude, which is usually pretty shitty, you're going to get about three gears to deal with and not necessarily first, second, and third. You know, we'll let you know when you get in the car. You'll find out. Do the, Hit the flappy paddle. We'll find out which gears you get. Fuel? 
keep running your mouth. Let's see how much you get. So, you know, again, we need to rein this guy in. Uh, just a, a, a rolling tragedy. A tragedy. Tragedy, that's another great word. No, well, it's, it's, it's a travesty and a, a tragedy put together. Uh, Richard Westbrook, sports car racing's tragedy. <laughs> your tragedy thank you sorry i just decided to <laughs> just gut the guy for no reason actually because he and i left doing that to one another but uh yeah been a little while since i've had no reason to take a swipe at westbrook but what a fine way to close the show and i would uh, say that's... that was also somewhat unlikely coming into the show that that was going to happen um thinking about less than, the, a million one shot, less than a million to one shot well also you know how many fans uh does richard have if uh if he had, if we start off with a number one million and one, how many fans does he have by subtraction? Eh, take a million away, less than a million. You get pretty close to how many fans he has. Uh, when is he going to hit his first apex? Probably not before 2025 at the soonest. So, yeah. Richard, I, I profoundly apologize. I profoundly apologize. I was nice. I, I, to don't, know what, right I don't know what's got into him. I don't know what's got into him. I was just filled full of sweetness right now wait till i really <laughs> get ginned up oh yeah i think it's, I think it's probably time we say good night well um, it is and is, you're the man who does that so <laughs> please do that this has been the weekend sports cars podcast brought to you as always by or as usual by marshall Pruitt, myself graham goodwin we're going to say thank you of course to cooper ties to the justice brothers and to torontomotorsports.com this is part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast collection, and we will be back with you the week in sports cars next week.